0: So what you just heard is excerpts from a sermon by a pastor named Leonard Ravenhill. And Leonard Ravenhill passed away in the 90s and he was maybe the last modern revivalist. And I don't mean modern evangelist, I mean modern revivalist, because Dr. Ravenhill had a burden and a passion for revival in the church. He said that was the greatest need of the church, was revival, but it was the one thing that seemed the hardest for us to experience. So when we talk about revival, I think that's a loaded term. When we talk about revival, what, what do we mean when we say revival? What, what does that word mean? I think for many of us who grew up in traditional churches, when we think revival, we think about having a pastor come in for several nights, maybe a Sunday through a Wednesday, or if you're really old school, he was there all week and you would see people come and people get saved. But I don't think that's revival. That may be a crusade, it may be a series of meetings at the church, but that's not revival. Matter of fact, I'll never forget the first church that I pastored. The first year that I was pastor said, are we going to schedule revival this year? I said, I wasn't aware that was something that could be scheduled. Because revival is not a series of meetings. And revival is not even seeing lost people get saved. Look, you know at the orchard, that's our heart. We want to impact lostness in the communities that we're in, but evangelism is not revival. Evangelism is a result of revival, right? Lost people get saved when revival happens, but in order to be revived, you have to be vived in the first place. And lost people are dead in their trespasses and sins, separated from their relationship with God. So there is no life to be revived in them. No revival is for the church. So what is revival? Revival is a special move of God among his people where he calls them out of spiritual apathy and stagnation into renewed spiritual life and passion. That's what revival is. It's not something that can be scheduled. It's not a series of conversions or meetings or mission trips or programs or concerts. Revival is a move of God in the life of his people. This includes seeing his people lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into a conviction of sin. It shows an earnest desire in the hearts of believers for more of Christ and to get deeper into his word. It's about a renewed purity of life, a renewed joy in worship, and a renewed commitment to missions and to witness. That's what revival is. And here's what I want you to hear from me today. We need revival. Look, I love our church. I absolutely love the orchard. If I was not pastoring the orchard, I would still be coming to the orchard. I love this church. I love the people of our church. So don't mishear me. But what I'm gonna tell you is this, the people that I know, the people that I love, the people that I serve with, I believe that many of us have had our hearts grow cold. We've had our spiritual life grow stagnant. We've become indifferent and dispassionate to the work of God among us and specifically the work of God in us. We know how to go through the motions and check the boxes. We know the words to the songs, and we're willing to do our part to sign up and serve. But underneath it all, our hearts have grown cold. Our worship has become mechanical, and all we have is worship services, but we don't have revival. The fire that once burned inside of us to know Jesus and to make him known to those around us is now nothing more than a flickering ember, waning and isolated. And I think if you want proof of that, maybe the proof is that some of you right now are more concerned that you're watching me on a video than what I'm actually talking about. You're more concerned about the presence of a man in your midst than the presence of God in your midst. See, I don't know what changed. I don't know when it changed, but our spiritual life is not what it once was. And it's not what many of us has hoped it could be you feel left wanting you feel left lacking you know that what you should experience in your relationship with Jesus is not what you're experiencing now and so what i'm telling you is that we need revival. We need God to move in our midst. We need God to convict us of sin. We need God to call us back to him, bring joy to our worship, depth to our prayer life. We need God to bring boldness to our witness. We need revival. And so that's what these next few weeks are going to be all about. What is revival? What does it look like? And most importantly, how does it come? because I don't believe it's something to be scheduled. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we're going to have revival over the next few weeks. That's my prayer. That's the prayer of your pastors. That's what we have been gathering for and praying for and fasting over, that God would move among us starting today, but at the very least, we're gonna talk about what revival is and how it can come. Whether it does come, we'll wait and see. So what I want to do today to get us started is take you to three different pictures of how revival comes, specifically in the Old Testament. There's three passages that God's really laid on my heart that show what revival looks like. It's a different picture of the same thing. It's a picture of God coming to his people, calling them back to him. And I think we see that fleshed out in three amazing stories. We see it in a fire, we see it in a flood, and we see it through resurrection. So we're gonna quickly walk through those together this morning. If you got your Bibles, go with me to First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18 is a story that's probably pretty familiar to you. It's a story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. If you don't know the story, let me give you a little bit of background. Elijah, prophet in the land, is prophesied against wicked King Ahab and said it's not gonna rain for three years. And when it didn't rain for three years, Elijah became the number one most wanted, most hated man by the king. And over those three years, as the land grew dry, so did the people's hearts and it all led to to an ultimate culmination of a spiritual battle on Mount Carmel. And we read about that in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20. And this is what we read. It says, So Ahab, that's the king, summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him but the people didn't answer a word. And so here you've got the nation of Israel witnessing this confrontation on Mount Carmel where Elijah is faithful to the true God of the people and then all these other prophets of Baal that have given and led the people into idolatry and sacrilege are backed by King Ahab and they're having a showdown and Elijah says, you've got to choose. You can't have it both ways. You've got to choose. Who are you going to serve? And the people refuse to answer. So Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna see whose God is God, and he divided. He devised a contest where he said, "What we're gonna do is we're gonna build two altars. We're gonna make two sacrifices, and whoever God answers by fire, and sends fire from heaven to consume that sacrifice, will know that He is God." And the people said, "That's fine. Do it." And so he said, prophets of Baal, you go first. There were hundreds of them. And so they went and they built an altar and they made a sacrifice and they laid it on the sacrifice and they sung and they danced and they asked God, Baal, Baal, send fire to consume and nothing happened. And Elijah says, well, maybe speak up. He can't hear you. Or or maybe keep saying it, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's walked away, maybe he's taking a nap. And so they chanted, they danced, they worshiped, they sang louder and louder and louder, but nothing came. It got to the point that they began to cut themselves and mutilate themselves so that blood was smeared all over them and all over the altar and still nothing happened. All morning, all afternoon, till the evening, nothing happened. And then Elijah said, or at least if he would have been a redneck, he would have said, y'all sit down and watch this. Elijah builds the altar of God. He makes the sacrifice, places it upon it, and then he does something extraordinary. He tells the people, I want you to go and I want you to get four gallons of water. And one at a time, I want you to dump those gallons of water over the sacrifice and the altar, so much so that a trench he built around it would begin to overflow. And then he prayed this. We're going to read it in verse 36. It says, at the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that at your word I've done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the Lord's fire fell. And it consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It's an amazing story. It ends with an even more amazing story as Elijah then begins to chase the prophets of Baal, slaying all of them and the people turning back to the one true God. And I think this is a clear picture of revival for us, right? Because we see the nation at a crossroad, a nation who knew the Lord but had turned away from him. Their hearts had turned away and their hearts had grown cold. And so Elijah challenges them to return to the Lord and yet they remain unmoved. And so what Elijah does is he builds an altar, he makes a sacrifice, and he prays for fire. And when the fire from heaven falls, the people's hearts are turned. That's revival. Another picture. If you've got your Bibles, go with me to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, even though it's one of the longer ones. It's a book that we skip over after we get past the first three chapters. The first three chapters tells the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. But man, there's some good stuff if we just keep reading. In chapter 6, Hosea is prophesying to the nation of Israel, who once again have had their hearts grow cold. They have turned away from God. They have began to worship idols. And Hosea says this in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. He says, come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. So this time, the picture of revival isn't a fire, it's a flood. It's a people who once again have wandered away from the Lord. Their hearts have turned from the Lord. Their hearts have gone cold and they've gone dry. And Hosea comes and speaks to them on behalf of the Lord and says, Let us return. Let's come back, and I think that's something that's so important when we think about revival. When our hearts have grown cold, when our spiritual life is shriveled up, when it seems like it's not what it was, we've got to acknowledge who it is that moved. It's not God that's moved. God has not left us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, but oftentimes we wander away. And revival is a chance for us to return. Let us return to the Lord. Why? Because he will revive us. He will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. And then he says, when we strive to know the Lord, I love this. When we strive to know the Lord, his appearance is sure. And he will come like a flood. He comes like a fire. He comes like a flood. That's revival. One other. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 It's not just a fire. It's not just a flood. This time we see a resurrection. Now, I don't know how much you've read in the book of Ezekiel. I don't know how much you know about the book of Ezekiel, but if you know anything about Ezekiel, you probably know this about Ezekiel. Start reading with me in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse one. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by his spirit, and he sat me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I'd been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone And as I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them. Look at this. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breath come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so they may live. So I prophesied and he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet as a vast army. That resurrection is a picture of revival. These bones that are dry, they're whitewashed, they're bleached, are mended together at the word of the Lord. They grow together, tendons come, flesh comes, but he says, yet there was still no breath in them. And he said, prophesy to the breath. And the breath of God, the Spirit of God comes and fills these lifeless bodies and raises them into a great army. That's revival. And so when you look at these stories and you see fire fall from heaven, you see a flood cover the land, you see dry bones raised to new life, that's revival and that's what I believe we need. We need that kind of revival. We need that kind of move of God in our midst, not just so that the lost are saved, but so the saved are called back to where we have wandered away from. And so the question is how does that revival come? Well, like I said, I don't know that there's any guarantee that revival ever comes. I know there are some pastors out there who would tell you, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then revival will come. Maybe you've heard them say, if you'll send a love offering of $29.99 to this address, then revival will come. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is how do we position ourselves for a move of God? What I mean by position yourself is you can put yourself in place to see God move. Here's the thing. If you go outside this afternoon, I can't promise you it'll rain. But if you stay inside this afternoon, I can promise you you won't get wet if it does. So how do we position ourselves? I think we see it in these three pictures. Just like Ezekiel and the dry bones We hear the word. These bones came to life at the word of God. We hear the word of God and we receive and surrender to the spirit of God and he raises us to new life. In the flood, in Hosea, we we seek his presence. We repent and we return and then we wait for the rain. And when you look at 1 Kings with Elijah, Man, we just build the altar, and we pray for fire. I think all of these have a common thread where there is an earnest desire, there's a need, there's a desperation to see God move, and then there's preparation made for when he does. That's when revival comes. But if I'm gonna be honest with you this morning, I think one of the primary reasons that we don't have revival is because we don't want it. Not really. We want experiences. We want feelings. We want to see miracles, but we don't want revival. Because for revival to come, God's got to change us. For revival to come, we've got to let go of those sinful passions that we keep tucked away in the dark. For revival to come, we've got to be able to surrender the dreams and hopes and aspirations of our lives. For revival to come, we've got to get face down before the Lord and cry out for His presence and ask Him to send the fire for revival to come. It's got to start with us. And we don't want that. We're too busy wanting things from God to actually want God. We go through the motions. We check the boxes. If we show up and we read our Bible and we pray and we put our money in the offering plate, then maybe God won't be mad at us and maybe my family won't get sick and maybe I'll get a promotion at job. But here's what I wanna tell you. The reason that we don't see the hand of God in our church is because we don't seek the face of God in our church. And if we want revival to come, we've gotta seek his face. We've got to cry out and say, yeah, I need this. I'm desperate for this. God, I want you more than I want anything else in life. I want you to come in my life like a fire and burn away everything that is not holy. God, I want you to come in my life like a flood and cover every inch. God, I want you to breathe new life into me so that I can know you and make you known. That's revival. And it won't come until it comes in us. So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to turn it over to your location, pastors. And we're going to pray for God to send revival. And for it to start in me. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that by your word and by your spirit, that you would bring life, to our dead hearts God, I pray that as we repent and return, that you would heal us and cover this church like a flood. God and as we fall face down before you. God as we build the altar of the sacrifice of our life, that you would send fire. And that you would consume us. And that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.